Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to season two of what was formerly known as the Elite Investing Show, and now it's known as the Market Champion. So this is technically episode one of Market Champions, well, season two. And I got to interview the investor dad, Dario Chin, on the podcast. He's an international investor who's invested in many countries, and he's been investing for about 10 years or more. And I hope you enjoy the show. Let's get it. Great. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. That was great. Thanks for having me. So, Darian, could you tell the audience a little about how you actually got into being an investor and how you started on your journey of being an investor? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I've been investing for just over 10 years now. Um, I started not long after I started work, after I came out of university, because I was just unhappy, really, with the savings rates that were on offer in the United Kingdom. And I wanted my money working harder than it was in low interest savings accounts. And I'd always had an interest in investing in the background, but I figured when I'd finally landed my job out of university, that was the time to really start investing properly. So what was the first stock you owned or, you know, what was the first investment you ever made? So the first investment that I ever made, and it's actually something that I still make today is the HSBC FTSE 250 index tracker fund. Because when I started out, I wasn't quite sure about individual stock picking and I thought I would stick to an index tracker fund because I'd read at the time that they were one of the best things for new investors and I still think that today and I'm still making that investment to this day every month. And when you say you started 10 years ago so you started around the crisis? Uh, yeah pretty much yeah it was okay. it, it was a time where um, I guess you could think that it isn't uh, natural for people to want to invest after a sort of a financial crisis like that but yeah. Um, having heard of, of Warren Buffett and some of his principles, you know, be, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy and, um, you, you know, that, that sort of thing. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Be, be, um, so I was trying to apply those principles really. Um, and it's worked out all right, um, ever since because it's one of my best performing investments as well. And, uh, so, and you still own that until today? Say that again, sorry? So you, so you still own the HSBC Tracker Fund? Till today. Yes, yeah. I still, I, I dollar cost average every month and I have done um, for 10 years now, uh, every single month. Started off very small and slowly built up over time. All right, so how much money did you put in your first investment? How first investment was, it was the absolute minimum that you could, which was 25 pounds. That was the regular investing amount that you needed to be able to do each month in order to make regular investments. I see. And uh, do you own any individual stocks right now? Or do you pick stocks at all? Do I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so over, over the years, my, um, uh, my investing methods sort of spread out really. I started on index tracker funds because I thought they were the safest and one of the most accessible ways to invest. But over time, I've quite got into uh, researching individual stocks and picking individual stocks myself. So um, GlaxoSmithKline is another large part of my portfolio. Uh, I'm a big fan of the pharmaceutical industry from an investment perspective. And also uh, Rolls-Royce. I see. And uh, so is GSK your best pick so far? 
Uh, GSK has been uh, effectively a pretty much a stalwart in Peter Lynch's terms. Um, it didn't really do much for, for a long time. Um, Rolls-Royce, on the other hand, that's been one of my best individual investments uh, over time. Uh, the, 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 very, the very best um, I recently talked about in my Instagram stories, uh, but that was a penny stock and I think I got a bit lucky with that one <laughs> because that's currently about 800% up. So it's definitely not typical results, but that's definitely my best result so far. Which one is it? Uh, that's Eurasia Mining, which is a palladium and platinum miner that's based in uh, Russia. And recently, palladium prices have been on the run. Do you want exactly, palladium? yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So they, they found larger reserves in part of the land that they owned. And like you said, palladium prices have went through the roof. So it's win-win, really. Do you own any palladium as a commodity? No, no. I don't own any commodities directly. Okay, so you own like a commodity index fund as well? Uh, that's right, yes. So um, I don't like playing commodities directly because of the associated volatility with them. I'd much rather invest in the business because they have the expertise and I'm investing in the business to turn that commodity into money then. I think that's a better way of doing it. And when you talk about picking stocks, so how do you go about picking stocks? Do you use the um, top-down approach or a bottom-up approach? How do you do it? Um, so I've, I've always really sort of, I've used my, my own way pretty much. So I'll use, um, I'll go through various stock screeners. I'll go through websites. I'll just have a general browse of the stock market and see what people are speaking about. Are there any stocks that are underperforming potentially from a analyst perspective or they're not very interesting? Um, and then I'll start to apply fundamental analysis when I've found stocks of interest. There isn't a sort of magic, I definitely do this first. I just try and get a feel really for how stocks are performing and what ones are popular and what ones may not be so popular that could be good investments. And so do you like, you know, go for the Warren Buffett approach, try to find a company with a mode that sells below value? Yes, so uh, that's one particular method. Um, I quite like looking at companies that have very strong moats. I think that's a very good, um, uh, it's a very good aspect of investing that I think um, can get you some very good stocks. But I guess, um, as we all know, uh, it still needs to be at the right price as well. Right. And um, that's what I try and do too. What are some of the metrics you look at when you perform fundamental analysis? Um, so I'm quite looking at the, uh, the price to um, book ratio. I think that's a good indicator of how much value uh, you're getting out of the, the actual stock itself. Um, because if you've got a, a relatively good price to book ratio, you're not actively paying much for the business itself because it's all there contained within its book value, if that makes Great. sense. Great. So I quite like doing that. So do you like find a lot of micro caps as well that sell below price to book? Um, or some yeah. smaller companies? I, I try and I try and look at the um, the fundamentals for the smaller companies, but um, they're obviously they're intrinsically they're a bit more variable, and so with the sort of the micro caps and the nano caps, some of it is fundamental analysis based. However, a lot of it is a judgment call really. Um, with the obviously with Eurasia mining and the price of palladium, um, and the, the the future use of palladium within the automotive sector. Um, 
there's the empirical side of yes the company's performing well but also the general trajectory of the business and industry to say mm, yeah we, we're actually i think this is going to be something in future so it's a combination of both really so well, what metrics do you look at to you know determine uh, whether a company is selling below intrinsic value is it just price to book value or do you use anything else um, it's, ma it's mainly just that yes um i got i got sort of um uh, when i when i first started looking into the various um fundamental analysis um uh, methods um i found myself getting quite overwhelmed because there, there's, there's a metric for for absolutely everything these days yeah. um and i quickly found that more information for me personally wasn't necessarily better so uh, and it's, it's still a, it's still a working process i'm trying to figure out what's the best um set of fundamental analysis metrics to make sure you can you can pick the best stock and i don't think there is an answer really i'm just trying to improve my own investment approach as i go forwards i mean there is an information overload today you probably would agree with that yes definitely it is, it's, it's everywhere isn't it you know there's there's minute by minute updates on the stock market and it's just i think it can be overwhelming for especially new investors starting out because you, you just don't know where to start so how do how would you recommend a new investor go about you know dissecting all the information there is um so yeah i would say um i would say start small uh, don't try and boil the oceans because you, you can you can try and you can try and learn as much as you can about everything but i think then you can quickly start chasing your tail and um you'll, you'll start getting conflicting information maybe um look at some examples on websites um get a feel for companies uh, look at their company reports uh, look at um uh, different sources uh, of information there's there's a few websites that i tend to use regularly such as macro trends guru focus all of those are very good resources for looking at the ins and outs of the company performance you read a lot of annual reports now warren buffett has this quote where he says you know he reads about 500 pages of annual report today <laughs> oh, yeah that is that's fantastic i mean I, I i love warren but i don't think i have the tolerance for that um it's, it's a very thorough approach but i have to remind myself that he lives and breathes that and i have a full-time job and a family so i'm constantly he trying to look. he lives and breathes it okay yeah. So and and with being a um, so I don't work in the industry. I'm an engineer and I have a full time family. It's very difficult to get into that depth, which would be fantastic. It's not. It's not to say I don't read company reports, but I'm definitely not reading them back to back all day on the computer screen like Warren's probably. <laughs> well, I bet Warren doesn't even have a computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably all printed out, isn't it? <laughs> All right, and since you're based in Britain, what are your thoughts on Brexit? You know, the recent vote where the Conservatives won a majority. Where do you think we're headed from here? Um, I think I think it's good. And uh, political allegiances aside, um, <laughs> it's great that Parliament have a majority, which means they can actually implement changes in government. What frustrated me previously was with the lack of a majority government, it was impossible to get anything done. So I'm hoping at the very least, even if people hate the current government, then stuff will still get done and progress will be made because MPs can vote on it. Right. Are you, were you like long on the pound or long on the foot, say, into the, you know, into the, into the election last month? 
Um, I thought it was always going to be quite a volatile time. I wasn't sure if I'm honest. Um, I think the pound, uh, I wasn't particularly long on the pound, given the effects, the associated effects that it could have with the rest of Europe. However, now that we've got a majority government, I'm definitely long on the FTSE and long on the pound. And obviously, my FTSE 250 index tracker fund is happily chugging away in the background, and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy about that. So how were you able to deal with such a period of volatility? I mean, like last year was pretty volatile for the UK and indices. Yes. Um, I think it's remembering that investing, for me anyway, is a long-term game. So I, like I mentioned earlier, I cost average my investments every month. And so in periods of volatility, if there are dips in the stock price, then I'm not really too worried because I know I'm getting slightly more units for my money in the month after that. And over the long term, I'm hoping that the investment strategy is going to pay off. So do you sell those, you know, do you sell any of your investments at all? No, nothing yet. I haven't sold a single investment yet whatsoever. All right, that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty remarkable thing to do. Yeah, uh, it's, it, I, don't, I don't like getting, so um, I, I remember reading something that, that, that Peter Lynch, he ended up owning hundreds, maybe even thousands of stocks. It, it, it's not the sort of technique that I want to, to do because I don't think for retail investors, unless you've got absolutely tons of cash, you're spreading all of your eggs in so many different baskets, I think it's going to diminish your overall returns. You're almost trying to over-diversify then, aren't you? I mean, like Peter Lynch did own about 2,700 stocks at one point. It's, that's it. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. But he probably earned millions and millions of dollars, and unfortunately, I yeah. don't have that. I mean, he's worth about 300 million the last time I checked, so... Wow. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. I recently saw that you made a post on investing in Japan. Do you have any stakes in you know, some of the Japanese ETFs that you mentioned? Uh, so I have a, um, a fund that invests in that region. So I have an Asia Pacific fund. I don't own any specific Japanese stocks, but it's something that I am looking at in future. It's just right now, because of my limited knowledge in the Japanese market, I would much rather invest in a fund instead of individual stocks. Hey. So what's your conviction on Japan? Do you think it's going to go up? or? I think so. I think, I think it's, it's had a tough time, hasn't it, over the past couple of decades. And so I'm hoping now that with the, the general trend of everything moving more technologically based, I think Japan is, is perfectly placed to, um, to actually benefit from that. And it's whether or not the companies can um, pull themselves up and actually sort the, the, the issues out that have, have hampered them in the past. I'm not sure how true it is, but I heard that um, Japan's one of the only places in the world that still has sort of cassette tapes and VHS tapes because it's a very old-fashioned management structure. And I'm hoping that with increasing globalization and increasing technology, that they're going to start shifting away from that because you, you, you instantly, you hear of Japan and you see all the sort of neon lights and you assume it's high tech. But uh, from what I've read about the, the management of the companies there, that's the opposite. So I'm hoping that as like I said, as, as the future um, comes into focus, they're going to uh, move away from all of that and actually start making some real progress. Since you're an expert on the car industry because you work in it, do you have any particular Japanese car stocks that you would recommend or that you're looking at right now? 
Uh, don't, so don't forget. So I'm uh, so so. Uh, although I work for Rolls Royce, it's unfortunately not the nice car version of Rolls Royce. It's oh, okay. Rolls Royce PLC, which deals in um, jets, jet engines, and all of the associated stuff that fits on an aircraft. Although I do own a Mitsubishi for a car, so and I quite like it. So uh, yeah, the, the Mitsubishi's got my pick from car from a car's perspective. Anything from the airline perspective? Um, yeah, so um, I, I, I quite like the look of um, Airbus. I think Boeing have had a tough time recently with the 737 Max issues. Um, I think it's um, it's going to be a tough uh, road back for them, but um, they have some great products. And it's one of the safest industries in the world still, because it has to be um, by uh, regulatory re for regulatory reasons. So um, I do think that there is a bright future ahead for a lot of the aerospace companies out there. Do you look at yourself holding some Boeing stock any time in the future? It could be one of those turnaround companies that you know, Peter Lynch mentions. That's a, that's a good point. Um, currently, I don't think so. Um, I don't know how the next six to 12 months is going to play out. Um, they've, got to, uh, they've got to get the 737 MAX back into service as an absolute priority. Um, and the Federal um, Aviation Authority, if they don't sign off on it in the timeframes that Boeing think they're going to sign off on it, I think that there's a big risk then that their shareholders are going to be unhappy because it's going to be mean more delays to 737 MAX production right. and knock-on effects for other things. Do you own any Airbus stock? No, I don't own any Airbus stock. The only aerospace stock I own at the moment, uh, and it's sticking with what I know, is Rolls-Royce itself. Um, <laughs> so, because obviously I know, the, I, I, you know, I, I like to think kind of the business quite intimately. Um, that's some of the stock that I own. I see. And uh, do you support the recent negative interest rate decisions that were made in you know, the EU as well as in Japan? I mean, they both have a long history of negative interest rates. So what do you think of it? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I mean, um, there's, there's a good and a bad side to negative interest rates. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's supposed to spur uh, growth in the way and spur consumer spending. But I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure it has that effect. I think um, uh, I, I posted about it um, uh, not too long ago. But in, in some in some countries, um, uh, banks are actually paying people to take out mortgages. Yeah, that's in Denmark. That's right. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I can't I can't imagine that. I mean, it, it seems fantastic, but to be in such a position where you're having to pay your customers to take out mortgages just fundamentally doesn't sound right, and doesn't sound like a good way to make money. So, I'm I'm not convinced on negative interest rates at the moment. Although I guess some consumers that are getting paid to take out mortgages are probably happy, aren't they? I mean, so, though. I mean, the legendary investor Steve Druckenmiller has called, you know, sorry, Stan Druckenmiller has called these things um, anti-capitalist, or they're not capitalist at all. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. So, uh, would you own any? Do you own any stocks in the EU or any indices in the EU? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I have a European index fund as well. Um, so I have. Um, I don't have many individual stocks that are based uh, within within the EU directly. Uh, I have some UK-based um, stocks and UK-based penny stocks, but um, outside of my home, oh yeah, yeah. I, th there always has to be a small. It's only a small part of the portfolio. Um, it, it's the speculative part. Um, but for for countries where I'm not too sure about, or I'm not sure about the ins and outs of of the products, 
um, I tend to stick towards um, funds because for me, it's a better investing tool. So you're a big fan of diversification. You own a lot of funds. Yes, um, and it's, it's, it's a challenge over the years to make sure that there's, there isn't too many overlapping um, aspects of the funds. So they're all in, they're all in different regions. Um, so I'm, I, like I've mentioned many times in the past, I, I see myself as an international investor. So uh, I try and own um, funds that don't have um, uh, particularly uh, overlapping investments because there are some, um, some funds that have a, a US focus and um, other funds that don't have a US focus but still have some large core US holdings that are the same as the US funds. So it's making sure to not get that, that sort of double you don't almost double uh, buying the fund, uh, the the, uh, the stocks in, aren't you? So I try and actively steer away from that. And since you mentioned the US, do you own any particular stocks, or are you bullish on anything particular in the US right now? Uh, yes. Um, so I one of uh, one of my biggest is it the biggest? Yeah, it is the biggest actually. Um, my biggest position uh, in the US is Microsoft, and I absolutely love Microsoft. Um, I just think that they are the the technological powerhouse of the US. And I know people like Apple, I know people like Google, but fundamentally, you know, I'm talking to you now on a Windows PC and it's, it, it, in, my mind, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. in my mind, in my mind, Microsoft um, fueled the, the PC revolution. I know Apple was right up there as well, but I just think that they're the sort of, in my mind, when I think of, of computers, that's what I associate the word computer with. Microsoft, Microsoft. Windows. Yeah. I mean, they were the, uh, they were the original innovators of the PC. That's it. And then obviously it's Steve Jobs and Apple hot on the tail, but for me, they're the sort of, they're the main um, aspect. And I'm excited in, in where they're moving into, especially with their um, uh, cloud computing services um, and all of the other aspects of, um, of the future. Yeah. It's exciting times. Do you own any index funds as well in the U S I do. Yeah, I do. I own, um, uh, I own um, the U.S. index fund. It's it's so it's it's slightly larger in scope than the S and P five hundred, but very similar. Okay, so is it like it, a total market index fund? It's not that big. No, it's um, it's sort of an, in, an intermediary size fund. It's not quite as big as sort of the Russell two thousand um, list of stocks, but it's slightly bigger than the S and P five hundred because I think the S and P five hundred is like the main the main index in the U.S., isn't it? But I think that that misses out a lot of these sort of um, uh, smaller and medium-sized companies that, that can potentially grow a lot quicker than the big blue chip companies in future. So I wanted to make sure I had a small piece of that as well. And when you mentioned the US, what are your thoughts on the trade war right now? You know, recently we just saw the phase one deal, the phase one part of the trade deal signed between the US and China. Where do you think we're headed? Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Um, I am... <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it, it doesn't stay exciting as well because <laughs> the quicker it gets boring is the quicker it will get back to normality. That, that's my perspective. Um, I think it, it's really promising. Um, but as, as with anything this sort of, uh, of this magnitude, it's, it's still a big risk. I think there's still a lot to go wrong and um, investors need to be cautious about it. But in saying that, there's not really much in any individual investor can do. I mean, you can't, if you were to remove yourself completely from investing in anything regarding the trade war, you'd be, you'd be investing in nothing. You know, it's the sort of thing where it's so far reaching and the effects are so felt, felt so wide. It's very difficult to avoid anyway. So it's kind of just a sort of wait and see approach, I think. 
And the recent inverted yield curves in several places in the world. Do you think we're headed for a recession anytime soon? With the trend um, we're actually being the catalyst? Good point. Um, I think uh, some of the markers are there for a recession. Um, and it, the, the all-time highs recently um, for um, a lot of indexes around the world, uh, not just in the US. Um, but um, I think there's, there's good cause for concern, but providing that investors are prepared for a recession, e.g. you've either got some cash saved up to make some investments or you're not overexposed in one particular part of the world, I also think that that is a similar wait and see approach because you could, you could predict when a recession might come along and it might never happen. Um, and I've seen various, I can't think of what they're called, but you know, the sort of the charts that show you the sort of the, the true magnitude of the recessions over the long term of the stock market. Right. You, you can see that each individual recession, I mean, even, even the major recession in, in sort of 2008 to 2009 financial crisis, um, even that is a sort of a blip on, in, in terms of the sort of the, the grand scheme of things. So I think providing that everyone's got a long term outlook, it shouldn't mean the end of the world if there's a recession. It just means that there's potentially some bargain stocks to get hold of. Are you hedged in any way for the recession? Do you own any gold or any first ETF or are you sure? No, anything? no, I, I th those, those sorts of things have always interested me. I don't, I don't own any, any gold um, uh, investment products. I have physical gold myself in, in the house here, but it's not from <laughs> the sort of, not from an investment perspective, you know, it's just, it's just jewelry, stuff like that. Um, I, I don't, um, those sort of um, inverse ETFs, I've always sort of, I've never, never fully um, been on board with the approach because I don't think um, it's potentially the best thing for retail investors to get involved in. Because like I was saying before, because nobody quite knows when it's going to happen, you could right. just sort of be wishing forever, really. Great. And, you know, the, uh, so do you think we're headed for a recession you know, this year or next year? Um, I can't see it happening this year. If anything, I would say next year you've obviously got you've got the u.s presidential elections as well so whether that might help or might hinder the fact of recessions coming along i don't really know um certainly from sort of a european and a uk perspective um i don't think that we're in bad shape now because we've got a majority um parliament uh, if anything i think that's going to spur economic growth um and help the economy improve so um it, uh, yeah i guess it depends what what sort of part of the world we're in as well. Do you own any Chinese stocks or anything with the exposure to China? Uh, yes, so currently I own Alibaba um, I, and, and also JD.com. Um, so I, I really like what they're doing. Um, it, it, they're effectively the Amazon of, of, of China, aren't they? Um, I really like what they're doing in terms of their e-commerce side of things. Um, and um, I own JD.com for similar reasons. Um, I understand that JD.com has got a slightly, um, they've got a much better handle on their supply chain. So I wanted to make sure that I'm investing in a company that's got an embedded supply chain to take advantage of all of the increasing globalization and increasing um, Chinese uh, production of suppliers. Do you have like, how much of your portfolio actually contains exposure to China? Um, in terms of percentage of my portfolio, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's probably small. Um, if I, uh, let, me, let, me, let me have a think. It, I would say it's anywhere between um, 10 and 20%. I'd have to work out the exact numbers. So it's not, it's not massive exposure, but um, 
emerging markets and China in particular are in my long-term investing strategy. I mean, a lot of uh, hedge fund managers have exp- have like you know expressed opinions, uh, bullish opinions to China as well. So, you know, do you have? So, I was just wondering. Historically, China has usually gone up when the U.S. goes into a recession. So, do you think you would be pumping up those numbers in China anytime soon? That's a good point. Um, I think certainly if the outlook remains favourable, um, given the trade war, I wonder how it will sort of, uh, because obviously the link between the US and China and the trade war, I wonder how that might tie the performance of the respective economies if the US was to struggle and then because of the trade war, China can't get the goods sold in the US. I wonder if that's going to change the dynamic in terms of how the markets react to one another. But um, I'm definitely expecting big things from China. Um, obviously, being part Chinese and everything does help. <laughs> You're part Chinese. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, um, uh, on my father's side, uh, my uh, grandfather, he is um, part Chinese. So I have Chinese heritage in myself, hence the, the, the surname. <laughs> so um, yeah, back, backing backing one of the home nations, so to speak. Um, but yeah, you know, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm expecting big things. Um, I, I think it, it, it goes to show with Tesla um, showing um, uh, confidence in the Chinese market by building their gigafactory there as well. And that recently coming online, I think that's a bit massive step. And uh, I recently saw that you had, um, you had exposure to India as well. So what's your outlook in India? Yes. I, I'm I've, uh, in exactly the same way as, as China. I, I have got um, high hopes for India. I think um, it's uh, fantastic. I like I like one of the um, I like Reliance Industries, um, and I, I really love some of the, the products and the businesses that are uh, Indian based. And um, I, it's, it's part of my investing strategy too. Do you own a, like any specific Indian stocks, or do you just own the ETF? Uh, yeah, it's just the fund. Um, I'm not knowledgeable enough to delve directly into the Indian stock market at the moment. So it's uh, I'm investing from a fund at the moment. And do you own any exposure to other emerging markets like South Africa or Brazil? Uh, yes. So I've got uh, I've got another I've got another fund that is <laughs> the Asia Pacific, um, excluding Japan region. Um, so that's everywhere uh, like Australia, New Zealand, uh, Brazil, um, Russia, um, India, China. You know, the, the, all, all that sort of region. Um, and uh, it, it's I'm basically trying to hoover up as many uh, different countries' investments as well as I can at the moment. You know, recently, um, Hong Kong, with all the protests there against the Chinese mainland, have went into a recession. So are you looking at any bargain stocks or anything in Hong Kong is right, right as of now? Uh, not, not right now. I think um, given the um, political unrest in Hong Kong, um, I'm not looking to invest directly there. I'm just monitoring the situation. Um, I know that recently affected Alibaba's um, Chinese stock listing as well. So um, yeah. it's not, it's not, I don't think it's, it's great for business at the moment. And it's certainly not great for the people in Hong Kong and China. It's uh, a lot of tension. I mean, it's the main, it's one of the major financial districts in uh, China as a whole. So I was wondering if you, would you own any banks from this situation or any companies in Hong Kong when the situation clears up a bit? Uh, I'll certainly be on the lookout, yes. Um, I don't have my eyes on anything in particular, but if the opportunity presents itself, there's always cash in my portfolio. So I will be looking and I will be looking at the fundamentals with some keen eyes. So do you own any ETFs in China with exposure to Hong Kong right now? Or no, no. Okay. 
So what do you think of the four Asian tigers? Do you think they're posed for South Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Singapore? Do you think they're you know, applies for massive growth in the future? And do you have an exposure to them? I think I think it's fantastic. Um, my exposure to those isn't as high as, as the rest of um, the rest of Asia, um, but I think that they've got some absolutely fantastic properties. I mean, uh, South Korea's—it's got the hasn't it got the fastest internet in the world or something, um, and it's the most in, interconnected nation in the world. Um, and there is a lot of I think um, with countries being so technologically advanced. Um, in such close proximity to countries not being so technologically advanced. I think that there's a real um, uh, opportunity to spread out that high-tech solution and almost sort of you, you're pulling up your neighboring countries then, aren't you, in terms of your development? So right. I'm hoping that that's going to happen around the region in the next few years. So I've been wondering, since uh, there's so many new exciting industries right now, such as Virgin Galactic, which is a space tourism stock, did he get in on that? Are you going to you know, buy some of that stock later on? Or no, I, I, to wait now? I, I, so I did. I, I, so as, as a general rule, I like to stay clear of initial public offerings. Um, some people love the sort of the excitement, the hype. Personally, I think it's, it's quite a big risk because there's so much natural hype and uh, natural sort of advertising around an IPO. I, as a general rule, steer clear. But saying that, Virgin Galactic, I think it's fantastic that they've IPO'd because it's almost, it's like the next phase in, in um, uh, commercial space flight. And obviously there was that disaster that happened um, with their spaceship um, a couple of years ago now. So I'm hoping that they can learn from those mistakes and make sure that doesn't happen again and then start building up their products going forwards. What do you think of Tesla stuff right now? You know, since you mentioned airplanes, uh, since you mentioned rockets, I thought of Elon Musk. So, what is, what's your opinion on Tesla? I, I, so I love the product. I, Tesla's absolutely my favorite car. I, I don't, I don't care what anyone says. That is, that is a car that I would love to own in the future. The stock the at the stock. moment, the stock though, I don't think, um, I don't think the fundamentals support the the valuation. I think it's great. They've just I've just seen that they've had, they've had a record uh, deliveries. I think it's hundred is it hundred and twelve thousand cars? Yes, sir. something around that. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's fantastic. I think um, there's still a lot of barriers though for Tesla. Right. And the, the the main thing for me is them getting that gigafactory in China up and running and really starting to pump up the numbers of the um, cars that are produced so they can start selling them to the customers that want them. You know, recently, about a few quarters back, Tesla, you know, reported bad earnings and slumped about 180. But then recently, you know, it was just, you know, it just you know, swept past 420 and straining around 440 now. So do you think it's overvalued by, uh, you know, your fundamental analysis? Um, so I, I, I think that the uh, sales and obviously not being a, a fully annually profit generating business, I don't think that they support a valuation as high as Tesla's. I think, I do wonder how much of their future production and future sales are already priced into the stock because it's, it's probably the only company that I know that doesn't spend a penny on advertising budget, but is everywhere you, you see in the news and it's reported. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, that marketing department effectively runs itself for free. It's, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, you and Musk is like, you know, the meme lawyer right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that all works to sort of that, that and it's, it's fantastic for a product perspective because that brings it into the sort of the, 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 um, the day-to-day, um, uh, sphere of, of every customer of theirs. 
But I do wonder how that's um, having an effect on the stock price and inflating it as, as retail investors get in and think, oh, I best not miss out on this. When in actual fact, um, it hasn't delivered consecutive years worth, or in fact, even consecutive quarters worth of uh, profitability. So I really think that it's not something that should be invested in unless you've got a big tolerance for risk. I mean, Tesla could, you know, plunge tomorrow. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a very risky thing to hold. It all depends on how I think um, I think the rollout of their um, supercharger network and um, just getting more of the cars to more customers. Um, so f from the United Kingdom, the nearest supercharger station to me is, I think, about an hour, hour and a half's drive. So it's not really, and uh, you know, whereas a, a gas station, a petrol garage, um, I, I can get there one in 30 seconds. So there's a big disparity between the, the network able to support their cars and the customers that want their cars. And I think that that's going to be an uphill battle for them. Do you own any other asset classes apart from stocks like fixed income or currencies or commodities? Um, so I own um, a small amount of bonds, um, but that is it. So, so what kind of bonds are they? Um, so these, so there's, a, there's a company that's based in the United Kingdom called Wise Alpha, um, and they do um, effectively high yield bonds for um, uh, large businesses. So um, you, you, buy, you buy what are called notes, which are um, effectively institutional sized bonds in pieces that regular individual retail investors can buy. So I own a couple of UK-based companies from a bond perspective, um, but I quite like, I, I, I guess I feel that I'm younger than I am, um, because I, you see the sort of the classic, um, you should have your age minus this, so, you know, bonds and all that. And I, personally, I think, I think that's rubbish. Um, I think it's, it's good to have a small amount of bonds in your portfolio if you're really risk um, uh, intolerant. Yeah. But... Um, from my perspective, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not retired. There's a long time to go for retirement. Um, I don't need or want the um, the income from bonds, and I would much rather look for either um, uh, stocks that have growth potential or uh, dividend-paying stocks. So when you talk about high yield bonds, do you own like junk bonds? <laughs> if, effectively, yeah. It's a nice. It's the nice way of saying junk bonds, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're junk bonds. Um, yeah, they're not. They're not investment grade bonds. So and it's only it's only a small amount of them as well. It's yeah. more. It's more a trial, really, just to see what sort of, um, just just to try and get get some more exposure, just to increase my learning. Um, it's not sort of. I wouldn't say that it's primarily my. Um, uh, it's, it's definitely not part of my main uh, investment portfolio. It's my sort of. Uh, a little experiment on the side. So do they like pay coupons? Have, have any of them defaulted? Uh, no, look, luckily, <laughs> none have defaulted. Um, although it's not been very long, so I, I have my fingers crossed um, that that carries on being the case. Um, but I don't, I don't see myself significantly increasing any sort of positions in those. I'd much rather funnel my money into the stock market. The bond market is just, yeah, yeah. even though it's even though it's much bigger, isn't it? Um, I think you didn't you do a post recently and how big the bond market was compared it's to massive. the stock market. Yeah, it's, it's huge, isn't it? Um, but uh, for some reason, I, I don't know. I think intrinsically, it's just because it's so much more boring. I, th I just think it doesn't get the attention. That maybe, maybe it deserves more attention. I don't know. 
And moving on to the more psychological aspects of investing, what do you think is the number one characteristic an investor must possess to be successful at this game? Uh, so above all, patience. Um, when I first started, that was something that I had no idea how much I'd need to get <laughs> the amount of, of, of you know, to get a reasonable return. I was expecting um, stuff to happen much quicker, um, stocks to rise in price overnight. You know, that's that sort of naive thing. But it's, it's only learning over time and researching and realizing, hang on, this is a long term game. Um, that I think patience is the best or, or the most important quality any investor needs. Unless you want to, or unless you just want to buy options and just. You know. <laughs> Do you own any options? No, um, definitely not. No. <laughs> any derivatives at all? Uh, no, I don't own any. I don't own any um, any options. No interest in any of those short-term wacky investments whatsoever. <laughs> no, that's not that's not for me. Do you do you know any technical analysis? Uh, no, I, I tried a little bit to start with, but something fundamentally just does not. Um, I, I just I, I don't I don't uh, follow the fact that um, past price is indicative of future performance, and therefore you can infer what the price is going to be tomorrow by looking at the patterns of the charts of yesterday. I just I don't see how that's a thing. Um, <laughs> coming from, coming from a sort of you know an engineering background, and it, it's almost at the opposite because obviously we we we, we predict the outcome of a, a, a test or a, a run based on previous data. But when I started looking in from, uh, into it from an investing perspective, it just intrinsically just doesn't, doesn't sit right. In, it, it just it seems like pseudoscience in my, in my eyes. <laughs> so, do you, so you don't use technical analysis at all? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, never say never. It's something that I'm open to learning about in the future, but it's certainly not something that's part of my everyday analysis um, called toolkit at the moment. Would you have a like day trader, you know, swing trader, whatever they call it? No, no, not at all. I don't, I don't think I have the um, mental fortitude for that. I just, I, I just, I couldn't. No, I, I don't. I, I mean, from, I, I don't know if the statistics are different elsewhere in the world, but from, from, uh, from a UK perspective, um, something bonkers like ninety-six percent of retail uh, traders lose money. And I just don't see how people make money from it unless you're a really, really good individual or you're an institutional investor that's got so much money to, to experiment with that it doesn't matter if you lose millions. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, so no, it's not for me. And to wrap up the interview, I wanted to ask you, what's your number one best tip that you can give an investor? Um, I think, um, I, I, I guess I mentioned it earlier as well, is don't try and learn everything straight away take it bit by bit learn a small part of the investing game and then build on that knowledge and then build on that knowledge and that knowledge and i think by doing that you'll not only be less overwhelmed you'll probably confuse yourself less because you're taking information much more slowly and much more consistently you're not running around panicking going oh i don't know all about all this <laughs> right so all right thank you so much for joining me well, no, thanks ever so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, it's been fantastic.